the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. To the program. It's Tuesday, and I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Phones were quiet yesterday. We'd love calls and questions today. 340-9585. That's 340-9585. Or you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. I'm feeling a little extra invigorated today. Because since school's out, my kids are gone. Nobody's been here praying for me. Well, three of the kids showed up today to come in and pray for me before the radio program. So I'm pretty sure I'm not going to mess up today. We'd love to have your questions. Here's my first question from David. What is your opinion of conversion therapy for Christians with same-sex attraction? David, I think it's an insult. Um, I think it's based on a horrible misunderstanding of the scriptures. Um, I think it's harmful. And I think those are the kind of words and opinions that shouldn't come out of a Christian heart. Now let me explain with a little bit more detail. Conversion therapy, for those of you who don't know, is those um, the belief that you can sort of pray the gay away. You know, just just bombard somebody with all the negative about the lifestyle, the choices they're making, and and God will suddenly touch them and take them away. That's not preparing anybody at all for the battle that they face. We live in a fallen world. Truth is, some people are attracted to people from the same gender. You're not going to pray that away. What we need to do is prepare people to live lives that honor God while overcoming those temptations. You know, the truth is, we live in a world that wants everything to be done really easily. You know, I'm okay, I'm a Christian now, so just pray for me and God will take this gayness away from me. If you come to Jesus, he wants you to give it to him. He wants you to say no to your flesh say no to temptation so that we can say yes to him. And this is more important than I can communicate because as we struggle, if we have a a false expectation that suddenly our temptations are going to go away, I'm suddenly going to be attracted to, to, to people from the opposite sex, then we're not doing anybody a favor. Whenever we talk about something like conversion therapy for people who identify as gay, We're looking at them like they're broken. 
like there's something wrong with them. They're sort of defective humans. And, oh, we can fix that. We'll just pray for you and the Holy Spirit will take it away. Now, what the Holy Spirit will do, David, and please never forget this, what the Holy Spirit will do is prepare you to deal with the struggle, to deal with the temptations in a way that honors God. And I've seen far too many people who have been in this conversion therapy type churches, you know, cast the demon of lust out or cast the demon of homosexuality out. It's just not the way the world works. Now let's put this in a heterosexual context. What if somebody just said to you that there's therapy that can take away all of your sin, take away your temptation, the lust. What would you do if the lust comes back? And it's going to come back because, well, we're imperfect, firstly. And second, the enemy is going to be right there to push those buttons over and over and over again. You probably think you blew it, you failed God. Instead, what we do is we teach people how to stand under the temptation. David, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, says that God is faithful. It doesn't say that you're faithful or I'm faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand under the temptation. In other words, so that you can overcome it. If we really believe that verse, why is a homosexual attraction in a completely different category. And I realize that so many of us, far too many of us as Christians, I want to repeat from what I said earlier, we, we, we treat people that deal with same-sex attraction like they're broken. Something's wrong with them. And we completely ignore our own sins. Everybody has their own temptations. And what we have to do is learn to deal with them. You know, um, connected, but only sort of over the years here at Calvary Chapel we've gotten a lot of criticism for uh, not having singles groups um, you know, well, people are lonely you need to minister to them, I've had people leave the church because we wouldn't have a singles group where we could sort of match people up I said that's not our job our job is to teach single people how to deal with the problems inherent in being single. And for those who are single, who are, are delighting in their singleness, their freedom to serve the Lord, then we need to be able to reinforce to them that they're not, there's not something wrong with them. Well, same-sex attraction, heterosexual attraction, lust of all kinds is absolutely no different. By the way, David, the same answer would apply if somebody said well, what about therapy for men who are addicted to pornography truth is we're only addicted to sin we're not addicted to anything else we need to prepare people to deal with those temptations so David it is I think a disgrace in the American church when we suggest such nonsense Here's a question from Howard. This one's going to hit home with me. My pastor made a reference to his occasional drinking. I don't know what to think about that. Is it okay for a pastor to drink? Uh, Howard, I don't think so, personally. Uh, I, I know it's not okay for me to drink. Now, again, I've answered questions like this on this program many times. I'm not tempted to drink because I, I just, I've never had a drink, so it's not something that, that I miss. Uh, not something that I long for. Um, but but I can't imagine, knowing how many people in my church over the years that we've had to counsel through the pain of alcoholism, uh, we've lived with consequences of horrible decisions that were made when people were drinking too much. We've seen the families that have been broken and we see the bad example set by parents for their children. Um, I, I can't imagine a pastor making a reference to his occasional drinking. You know, it's one thing to flaunt your freedom, but I think if a pastor's going to drink, 
moderately, which is certainly, um, in some people's eyes, okay. I think not given to wine means that we shouldn't drink, but I'm in the minority in that position. But I think what we ought to do when we look at these things is take Paul's perspective. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I can't imagine knowing that there's people in my church who are struggling with temptation to drink or recovering alcoholics. I can't imagine me standing in the pulpit and mentioning that, oh, well, I had a couple of drinks last night or I occasionally drank. I, I can't imagine what the enemy would say to that person. They would say, well, well, if he drinks, it's okay for you to drink, and yet they're the ones that are struggling with it. I think sometimes, you know, Jesus said, power to whom much is given, much is required. And the idea there is much more is required. And my position as a pastor is such an honor for me that I can't imagine taking advantage of a liberty just because I can. When in fact, by saying no to that liberty, I'm, I'm actually advancing the cause of Christ. Am I free to do those things? Yeah, I guess so. But why would I want to when I know that I could possibly cause someone to stumble? So, um, if your pastor asked me and he didn't, should he drink? I would say no. We should give up that right just for the privilege of what we've been able to do. So, uh, I would be troubled by that if I were you at the same time can't judge him. The Bible doesn't say an occasional drink is is a sin. Uh, I, I just think it's a problem. That's my view. Uh, the other thing I would say to your pastor, if, if we were talking, and again, we're not. Nobody's asking me for my advice. I would ask him, why do you do it? I would ask him, could he stop? If he said, yeah, I can, but I don't want to. I'd say, well, why don't you stop just to prove you can? There's just no value, no benefit in partaking of alcohol. I like a lot of things that aren't good for me. Howard, I'm a milkshake guy. If, if I could have five milkshakes a day. I love them, but I'll also be about 800 pounds. So I control that urge why wouldn't we be expected to control the other urges I just think it's something we have to be careful of 340-9585 there's a question from Dale Pastor Ron can we jinx ourselves when making negative comments um, Dale I think I know what you mean you know, our words can snare us kind of thing. Uh, the answer is no, we can't. Uh, that's sort of an offshoot of really, really bad prosperity teaching, the name it and claim it movement. You know, your words can snare you. If you say negative things, you can speak them into reality. We can't speak anything into reality. Can you imagine, Dale, serving a God that has so little power, so little care for your soul, that simply by saying something negative, we can trap ourselves? That's silliness. So the answer to your question is absolutely not. You know, there's so much bad teaching out there just today. Um, I was thinking about generational curses. And my heart breaks with these things because there's no such thing. And yet because... We can easily convince somebody of that because it sells. People will buy your book or they will come to your church if they can find a reason for the things that they do. Well, it's not my fault. It's my parents' or my grandparents' fault. Our view of God is so low. We have way too much self-esteem and very, very little God-esteem in the church in the West. And what we've got to do is we've got to decide for each and every one of us individually, Dale, we've got to decide, are we really going to invest in knowing who God is? 
you know, my Bible says that he's faithful when I'm faithless. My Bible says he is the author. That means the beginner and the finisher or perfecter of my faith. My Bible says that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. None of those passages say that I'm responsible to finish it. I just got to be with Jesus and trust in his strength. What an impotent God we serve if we can simply, by saying something negative, jinx ourselves. And yet I do know that that's a prominent false teaching that's out there. So no, Dale, we cannot. For somebody who believes that you can, you need a bigger God for sure. Uh, here is an interesting question. Uh, it comes anonymously. It says, um, I just saw your study from last Wednesday night and was stunned by how direct you were. Is that descriptive of the way you usually teach? Uh Anonymous it is, but but before I go there, let me just say this. That was a really, really tough teaching. i got to finish that chapter tomorrow night, in fact. And it's a really, really tough passage of Scripture. Um, Dealing with ugly things, things that go on in the world that we live in all these thousands of years later, but nonetheless real ugly stuff. And I see people trapped in ungodly relationships I see men trying to convince women they love her just so that she'll give her body to them. And this was Amnon's rape of his half-sister Tamar. And it's a hard study. There's no way you can do that and be funny. There's no way you can do that and beat around the bush. Last Wednesday when I was talking to ladies... I wanted them to know that men lie to get what they want, and then when they get what they want, they'll be gone. That's the reason these stories are preserved for us. But the general answer to your question, how is that usually how direct I am? Yes. I, why, would, why would we who are believers be anything other than direct? I think you could tell that my heart delivered the message in love. But one of the things that's hard to explain to people, especially if they go to churches where there's really nothing negative ever said or nothing that direct, I think it's hard to explain how much, as a pastor, I love the people who come to Calvary Chapel. I love them so much, I I don't want to see them hurt. You know, when the Apostle Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 19 and 20, he said to them, talk about direct, now I know that there are among your own number savage wolves who will come in to devour the flock of God. And he said that with a broken heart. And then he said this, but I declare to you that I'm innocent of your blood for I've not failed to declare to you the entire counsel of God well I think that's our job as pastors anonymous I think the one thing that we always have to remember is that we're going to give account to Jesus for what we did with his word and what we did with the people that he entrusted to us and I don't want anybody ever leaving Calvary Chapel. I, I, I once told the Lord at the very beginning of our time here, all those years ago, 23 years ago, I said, Jesus, if, if I don't say a word that makes any sense, I want people to know two things. I want them to know how much you love them, and I want them to know how much I love them. Later, I added a third. I want them to know how much I love you. And I can promise you, as difficult as that message was last Wednesday, it came from a heart filled with passion for the people who were here. So yeah, that's descriptive of the way I usually teach. I never, ever, ever raise my voice. I don't criticize our people. 
We don't scold them for not giving enough or not serving enough. But when I teach the scriptures, I'm very, very, very direct. And I can't imagine doing it any other way. So that's the best I can do. Uh, Anonymous, you might want to watch tomorrow nights as well. Um, it's, It's not quite as difficult. But... Uh, it's the consequences that follow sin. It's one of the reasons I'm so direct. I, I don't want the people I really love to have to deal with consequences. So we warn them repeatedly as we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the scriptures. By the way, for you in the audience, at Second Samuel 13. That Bible study is available at calvarysa.com if you want to listen. But if you are a parent, especially... It's a great Bible study to take to heart. If you are a Christian whose walk with Jesus is sort of hot and cold, one day you're all Jesus, the next day you're all you, it's a great study because there's a lot of consequences that loom in your future, and you need to know what they are. So I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Andrew says, do you think people with Alzheimer's or other mental defects can understand uh, when we share the gospel with them? Andrew, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I know the supernatural power of God. I know how long he will wait for sinners to come to him on their deathbed. He'll still go out and get them. And since I don't know what they understand, I don't know how accountable they are. I know, for instance, somebody with Alzheimer's is accountable for the sin that they committed before they had Alzheimer's. And usually we associate that with elderly people, so they still need to hear the gospel. So I actually don't worry when I'm sharing with them whether or not they can understand or not. Um, I, I don't take the approach that, well, you know, since they don't know if they understand, there's no point in doing it. Or, or even surmising that, well, they can't understand anything, they're out of it. I do the same thing with people who are on life support. Um, people who um, are, are unable to communicate. Uh, the only thing I want them to know is that Jesus loves them. And I'm going to tell them that until the machines are disconnected. I'm going to tell them that as long as I possibly can. And then you know what? Anonymous, I have the freedom of knowing that it's not up to me. I did my part. And God will do as much as he can, short of forcing people to believe. He'll do everything that he can. Now, let me also say this. I have been in situations where people with Alzheimer's uh, and or other um Um, mental illnesses um, would have moments of clarity. And if I ever saw one of those, I want to take advantage of it. Because I know how eager Jesus is to go get them and reel them in. Amazing, isn't it, that we serve a God who will wait till the last minute, people that never did anything with them or wanted anything to do with them and yet he doesn't care. He'll wait. So I think, Andrew, our calling from God is to tell people whether they can understand or not is between them and the Lord. But we don't want to ever stop trying. As long as people have breath, then we need to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I forgot to say this at the top of the program, so let me remind you, and I'll do this every day this week. I want to remind you of a programming note. Uh, Next week, uh, Paul and I begin our vacation. Uh, Pastor Ken will be live on the air here uh, on the program next week. Uh, His wife, May, will be with him on the date day edition of the program. Uh, And we'd love you to call him and ask him some really difficult questions. Uh, We would also, Paul and I, would appreciate your prayers. We're completely expecting to go um, and really hear from the Lord. We want to know marching orders. We want to know what's next. If if there is a next, or if it's just to keep doing what we're doing, we want to know for sure 
uh, what God is asking us to do. So we would appreciate your prayer. So Pastor Ken will be on the air taking your live calls. The following week, uh, we will have um, uh, some repeat broadcasts, and then Paula and I will be back uh, the first Monday in July to do the program. So um, I hope that uh, I hope that you can remember that. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We're inside one minute, so I don't want to get started on a question. Um, oh, I know what else I could say. Ladies, the sweet summer devotion last night with Sarah Green was outstanding. I watched it today. I can recommend it heartily. You can go to calvarysa.com and watch that. Um, she did a really, really, really good job, and uh, she was very candid. And that's usually what happens with Sweet Summer Devotions. We're going to be taking a two-week break now in Sweet Summer Devotions until Paula gets back from vacation, and then they will resume again. That will be the first Monday night uh, in July, and Sweet Summer Devotions will pick up again. Okay, we've got 30 minutes left uh, in our program. You can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. at 630-5757. Locally, you can dial 210 9585. You're listening to the word to stand up for life. Lord willing, we'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back i was laughing uh in a good way uh, during the break because when the the, uh, chuck swindoll um moment came on uh, I was thinking all the way back. It just I was transported back to when I was a brand new Christian. Uh, he was a pastor of an EV free church in Fullerton, California, which uh, was in the area where I worked when I first got saved. And we, what an impact he had on my early walk with Jesus. Great man. He's been faithful for so long. Um, it was good. Good to hear. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a, another anonymous question. My husband wants to divorce me but has no grounds. He says he's a Christian. What should I do? Uh, Anonymous, first of all, let me say I'm sorry. If he's really a Christian, I'm sorry that um, he's misrepresenting Jesus. Um, the, the, The sad truth is that we can't force people to do anything. If he's intent on divorcing you, even though he has no grounds, um... Then, then you're sort of powerless to do anything at all about it. You can't force him to stay with you. Um, I would first talk to your pastor if he says he's a Christian. I would, I would ask your pastor to talk to him. Uh, if that's not going to work, then there's really nothing else you can do except get closer to Jesus than you've ever been. What you need to do now is devour the Word of God. You need to be with Jesus all day, every day. The enemy is going to do everything that he can. Get your eyes, your heart, your mind off of your husband and transfer all of those to Jesus. That's why Paul says, set your mind and heart on things above. Colossians chapter 3, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Sometimes, you know, we're looking at our circumstances, especially in heartbreaking ones like yours, we're so close to the pain that we can't see the one who has the answer for the pain. With a grateful heart, you can make your request known to God. And here's the thing that I know, and this is what I would say to your husband if I was his pastor. I would say if you're intent on doing this, you're rebelling against God and you're not going to win that battle. But if you do this thing that you know God doesn't want you to do, then you're going to find life miserable, absolutely miserable. Now at the beginning, there might be some relief at the beginning for him. He might think this is an adventure and now he's free to do other things. But I promise you Jesus is going to make it painful for him and difficult. If he 
leaves you or divorces you, then you're free. You're the victim in this and you're free. I'm not suggesting that you have no role in why he wants to divorce you. But here's what I'm saying. You're free to remarry. You're free to follow Jesus with all of your heart. And you needn't be burdened, I guess is the best word I can use, by his sin, his choice. Will it break your heart? Of course it will. But you can't make him do anything. Let me also say this. In my years as a pastor, I've had a lot of people, men especially, say to me they're going to divorce their wives or they're, they're going to leave their wives. And they'll have a tale of woe about why, but there's no legal grounds. Then I ask them, what makes them think they're saved? Going to church, I was running in my neighborhood yesterday and I met a really nice guy. Uh, Ernie is his name. Uh, he's 83 years old. I uh, had a Christian fish symbol on his car. And we are just talking. And um, He said he's been going to the same church, First Baptist Church in Universal City, for 46 years. Christians sort of work through things. So suddenly when somebody acts like an unbeliever, I, I, I want to make them answer the question, what makes you think you're a Christian? And if he's counting on being baptized, if he's counting on going to church, if he's counting on being a good guy, none of that matters to Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. So leave your husband in Jesus' hands. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Deborah calling in from San Antonio. Deborah, thanks for being the first to call. You're on the air. Uh, Pastor Ron, um, I really, I, I appreciated your response to the person who was concerned, had a question about Alzheimer's. And I just uh-huh. wanted to add just a quick moment of personal testimony to that, if I might. Please do. Okay. Um, uh, for one thing, okay, my mother was, I believe, 89 or 90 years old. And we did not get along well because I received Christ in 1971, which was a long time before three years ago. And um, she fought it. She, she, I really think there was possession in her life, personally. But what happened was um, I, the Lord set up what I thought was going to be a five-minute quick little uh, trip over to to check on her, we were getting ready to move her to a lockdown Alzheimer's um, place. And um, the Lord just set up something where I'm standing there about Jesus and um, from from television. And Mm -hmm. I just, um, I took out a a tract. I read read it to her. I said, um, uh, Mom, and as she prayed to receive Christ, and while she's praying, I'm praying, Lord, you know the doctor says my mother has to be in a lockdown Alzheimer's unit. Please give me something to verify. And as soon as she said, uh, in Jesus' name, amen, to receiving Christ, she said she, start, she was glowing. And she said, Deborah, <laughs> this means I get to be with your daddy when I die. And oh. what happened with my dad was he received Christ four hours before he went into the coma he never came out of. Oh. So it is never too late. I just wanted to support <laughs> what you had told the gentleman with the very strongly personal um, uh, testimony of in both cases, I was not raised Christian. I, I became a Christian in college. It was a problem in my home afterward because of that. But God, I believe both of my parents are with Jesus. Praise the Lord. And, and you know what? When you see your mom again, Deborah, she's going to be just fine. 
Oh, I know. That's, that's <laughs> absolutely. That's a, the 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 prayer while she, while we were while I was doing the tract with her was was for me because I knew that mentally there wasn't much left. She knew me, but that was about it. And and for her to say. And looking like she did when she said it, this means I get to be your dad because he he died before. Um, it was just phenomenal. So and oh. you are so right. Until they stop breathe, until they are dead, dead, dead. Yep. You you share. That's right. Machine Amen. goes off. You can stop. Until then, you can't. Deborah, thank you very very you much. Got it. You, yeah, thank you. You see, it's those personal testimonies. Now, uh, the the whole thing she, when, when she said her mom was glowing. Uh, I've seen that. I've I've also had people in in really compromised positions in nursing homes look at me as I was sharing and say, "Well, you're glowing." You see what people can see, and the way God is dealing with them, it just shows you the links that the Lord will go to to go to reel them all in. And for us, it doesn't make any sense. Well, why would God wait till somebody's on their deathbed? Uh, my dad got saved on his deathbed. Why would he wait? Because God loved him. And God knew there would be a day that he would wake up out of... My dad was a brain injury. Just long enough to say yes. Then when I got there the next day, he woke up just long enough to say, Ronnie, is that you? I said, yeah, Dad. He said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I just came to say goodbye but mostly to see if you remember talking to my friend Derek. I'd send another pastor friend. And he goes, oh, yeah, he's the guy that told me about Jesus. And I said, that's him. And my dad went to sleep and never woke up. And, you know, my dad was a tough, tough guy. And I'm going to see him in heaven. I can't wait to see what his face looks like after God has given him a new heart. Thank you, Deborah, very, very much. I got tears in my eyes. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Valerie. How many times do you think God will forgive us if we keep committing the same sins? Valerie, we we can't out sin God's forgiveness. We can't out sin His grace. But when I'm asked a question like this. I always have to wonder, why would we keep committing the same sins? One of the things that Sarah said last night in her Sweet Summer Devotion um, was that, and she was talking to the ladies, she said, ladies, meeting Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, means you're different, you change. You can't do the things you used to do. So, Valerie, if you're talking about you keeping keep committing the same sins, or somebody else then there's something that has to be dealt with. Why are you continually committing the same sins? God has given you victory over those sins. It doesn't mean the temptation's going to go away. It doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to be so holy that you, you're no longer tempted by those things. Not at all. But here's the thing. We can't be using God's grace or forgiveness as an excuse to sin. So if you're bound by a particular sin, if you keep sinning, then the first thing you really need to do, I'm going to give you Paul's counsel. The Apostle Paul said to examine yourself daily to see if you're in the faith. And by that he means to see if you are of the faith. What would you say to Jesus if when tempted to sin, you were going to give in? What would you say if Jesus was right there? He'd say, Lord, go away for a while. I'm going to do this, this sin. I think sometimes we use grace as an excuse to sin instead of as a means to run from sin. Joseph ran from sin when Potiphar's wife, who no doubt was drop-dead gorgeous, she was married. Potiphar's wife was married to a eunuch. And handsome Joseph shows up and she kept trying to get him to come to bed with her. He says, how can I do this thing and sin against God? We've got to really, really deal with what grace is all about. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says that the grace of God that brings salvation 
has appeared to all men, it, the grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So I want you to consider that for a moment. Yeah, grace saves, and I'm, I'm more grateful for that grace that saves than anything in my entire life. But grace lives as well. Grace isn't just for that one-time conversion. Grace is what God provides so that you can say no when you are tempted. Grace is that nudge in your heart that says, you know, I, I can't do this and be pleasing to you, Lord, so I choose you. Again, we can't outsend God's grace, but I always worry, Valerie, about the person who uses grace as a rationale to keep sinning. Well, I know I shouldn't do it, but, you know, God's forgiven me. And I've heard that so many times over my years as a pastor. And I just don't understand how we can approach grace from that perspective. So, Valerie, God will forgive you if your heart is genuine. But that's your responsibility now. You've got to, or the person that you're talking to or about needs to examine their heart and see if they're with God. If we have been given the power to say no to sin, why would we keep giving in? Again, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. The next time you're tempted or the next time this person you're talking about is tempted, prove to Jesus you love him more than you love your sin. 340-9585, here is a question from Oscar. He says, is Warren Wearsby a reliable commentator? And what other commentators would you recommend? Uh, Oscar Warren Wearsby's great. Uh, and if you can get him on tape, um, uh, that's even better, because what doesn't come across in his books is how funny he is. I mean, he's just got the best sense of humor, uh, and yet his, his, his teaching is very direct. Uh, he's just a funny guy. Um, but, but yeah, he's a Rob. His, his B-series, uh, I've actually in this office, uh, have um, um, the short version of his commentary uh, on, the, on the entire Bible. Uh, and and uh, while we would never agree with everything somebody writes, I think he's really, really solid. With regard to what other commentators that I might recommend, there are just so many of them. Uh, I've shared on this program many times my favorite commentator uh, is a, a man who's now with Jesus named F.F. F. Bruce. Uh, he's brilliant, he's hard to read, but he's so good, so solid. Uh, his commentary on Romans is, in my view, the definitive New Testament commentary. Uh, he also has a commentary on the book of Acts. Um, uh, he is the authoritative voice on the on the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, a book that I recommend to everybody when they get saved is The Heart of the Apostle Set Free. Uh, it's The Life of Paul by F.F. F. Bruce. That's Frank Frank Bruce. Um, I love him. I, I, another commentator that, that I think nobody should study the Gospels without is a, a man named Alfred Edersheim. It, too, uh, is available uh, free. Um, it's a little bit easier to get the book. I think it's a book that's so valuable that everybody ought to get it. It's very difficult reading. But um, the, the Life and Times of the Messiah, I think, is the name of the book. Uh, it's it's uh, it's indispensable in understanding the gospel accounts. Uh, I, I like um, uh, Griffin Thomas. Um, um, his commentary on John, the Gospel of John, and the Epistles of John is spectacular. Uh, I personally like uh, a man named William Newell. A great deal. He's one of those old-timey guys now with Jesus again. But he's one of the guys who really believed pre-1948 that Jesus was coming back and that Jews were going back to Israel and there would be a nation of Israel again. Great, great faith. So there's many, many, many of them. Um, uh, John R.W. Stott uh, is a spectacular commentator. Again, not easiest of reading, but he is a great commentator. So there is just so very, very many 
uh, that are out there. Let me also, Oscar, recommend this, and, and I recommend this to everybody in the audience as well. The new International Commentary Series um, for the New Testament only is spectacular. I think the best work uh, that I've ever looked at in terms of a commentary series on the whole Bible. Now, F.F. Bruce that I mentioned earlier is the general editor, and he did Acts and he did Romans in the series. But at the same time, there are lots of guys. Gordon Fee is a, a man who, who uh, wrote the commentary in 1 Corinthians. Um, I, I think it's just a spectacular series. I think everybody should have that as well. I'm a book guy, so I, I like having the books rather than, than, than just looking up stuff online. But uh, the new International Commentary Series, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, General Editor, you will be so blessed um, by, by all of those Oscars. So I hope that helps. Oh, by the way, I had a commenter, uh, a caller yesterday comment on Ray Stedman. Uh, he's somebody that I can recommend without reservation. Um, um, his stuff is free online. You can go to Ray Stedman, just Google Ray Stedman uh, or go to RaySteadman.org, I think it is, and you can find the stuff there. So there's a lot of really good stuff out there, and um, that should keep you busy for quite a while. Thanks, Oscar. Eddie wants to know, Pastor Ron, how is Christianity unique from other religions? Well, Eddie... I think it's unique, most of all, because it's not a religion. Um, Religion has always been man's attempt to reach up to God. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do these rituals. I'm going to practice this religion and somehow justify myself before God. That's never been the way to heaven. Instead of trying to reach up to heaven... Christianity represents God reaching down to mankind. Christianity is the only religion in the world that requires nothing except believing. That's all. Christianity is transformational insofar as God himself condescends to come and live within us. Relationally, not in physicality. I think you understand that. But Eddie... Christianity is having a friend who happens to be Almighty God. Christianity is a relationship through adoption that enables us to call Almighty God the Father, Abba. Transliterated as best we can in English, it's Dad or Daddy. Christianity is a relationship that meets us where we are and loves us so much and it won't let us stay there. Christianity is a relationship that transforms those who are true believers in an instant. Not to perfection, don't misunderstand, Eddie. But it changes us by transforming us as we fall in love with Jesus. No world religion can say that. Now, I want to say this as well. Because Christianity is so unique, it means that no other world religion is true. I get criticized when I say that, but no other world religion is true. Because Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Peter declared, in Acts chapter 4, that there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. This is the Jesus, Eddie, that Job cried out for, if only there were a man to mediate between me and God. Jesus is that man. And only Jesus became a a, a human. He was also God, but he was 100% human and lived a perfect life so that he could be an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. And there's no amount of work we can do. There's no amount of praying we can do. There's no amount of ritual observance that we can participate in that can save us. Only the blood of one who is perfect. And of course, that's Jesus Christ. So that's how Christianity is unique. 
Got time maybe for one more. Here's one from Daniel. I know you don't think we have to observe the Sabbath, but many others do. How can I know what is right? Well, Daniel, read your Bible. That's how you can know what is right. Read your Bible. Hebrews chapter 4 says our Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, Jesus observed the Sabbath. He was a Jew under law, and he had to fulfill the law perfectly. But all throughout this, the, the gospel accounts, he made his primary message that they were completely misunderstanding the Sabbath because they didn't know the heart of God. We know that the early church met on the first day of the week, read Paul's epistles. They did that in honor of the resurrection. We know that the Sabbath worship is a, an old covenant promise. Jesus in the upper room said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. So Daniel, read your Bible. Don't listen to what other people say. Read your Bible and get to know him. Get to know him anytime. Here's a red flag for you, Daniel. Anytime somebody says you have to do something to be accepted by God, you know that's not true. Only believe. That's all we're asked to do. I've had a sort of an influx of Sabbath questions. These things keep running through the church. Uh, if Paul said that we're free to worship on any day of the week, every day is the same as another. Why would we continue to be caught up in this? Jesus fulfilled the law. And nowhere in the book of Acts or in the epistles will you find a commandment to worship on the Sabbath. Why? Because we have the Sabbath fulfilled. Our rest is in Christ. Thank you. I appreciate your call today, Deborah. You were the only one. The phones have been quiet. It's summertime. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.